it's time to get into part three of our series, Under God. Who has been here for the first two parts of Under God? Have you been here for it? Have you enjoyed it? Have you enjoyed it? It's been fun, right? It's been good. Uh, obviously, our team in the back is just like having a great time. We have an awesome, awesome team of people back there. If you're on the rad team, will you just wave at us? Shawler, like, give them a hand, y'all. Come on, this is awesome. What a great team. We have our kids team over there is taking care of your kids. They've been here, of course, all three weeks because they have to be. Thank you, guys. Uh, but, man, it's been so good. And what we've been doing is we've been taking the Pledge of Allegiance, right? We're talking about politics. We're talking about culture. We're talking about the American church. We're talking about some, some really kind of heavy topics, honestly. But, but we're seeing what God in the Bible has to say about these topics. Because how many of you know that we shouldn't shy away from topics that are maybe taboo, but as Christians and as believers, I want to take those things head on, amen? I, I want to shy away from the hard topics, but we're going to talk about those things, and we're just going to see what God says about it. Because at the end of the day, the Bible always has something to say, whether directly or indirectly, about every area of your life. And so uh, week one was all about, we say that I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, and we had four weeks, ready? One Nation was week one, Under God was week two, and now this week we're on Indivisible, and then next week is with Liberty and Justice for All. And man, I'm really excited about next week because we're talking about social justice and what does it look like as Christians and as believers uh, to, to uh, respond to injustices that we do see in our society. And as of you know right now, you know, it's a very polarizing topic in our nation, okay, and in our world, really. And so we're going to see what the Bible has to say about injustices and social justice. And I guarantee you the Bible has a lot to say about it. So make sure you come back next week for that. Uh, I want to tell you this, too. If you've seen on Facebook or Instagram, we don't have a Twitter, but if you've seen on Facebook and Instagram, we have a big announcement today, all right? A very big announcement. I think it's going to be something that you're really going to enjoy. You're really going to like this announcement. But, of course, like any good preacher, I would never give you the big announcement up front. I'm going to make you wait until the end of service today. So you're going to have to wait till the end, but I promise it's going to be something that you'll like, all right? So uh, actually, I was talking this morning to Jeff. I don't know if Jeff is in here. Jeff, are you around? He's around here. Jeff, okay. Uh, he, he said this to me this morning. He's like, Pastor Trevor, have you seen... That thing on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Has, have any of you seen that yet? Raise your hand if you watched it. Was it. It's pretty cool, right? It's also very terrifying, okay? And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But let me tell you a little bit about The Social Dilemma. I watched it uh, a couple weeks ago, and the second I watched it, I automatically knew that I was going to be talking about it this Sunday because it just so well relates to what we're talking about. But what they did is it was a documentary, and it was all about social media, okay, and this big dilemma that they have and how these big tech companies, they got CEOs from, you know, from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Reddit and Google and all these big tech companies. They got product developers, okay, they got algorithm makers, I don't know what you call them. I mean, they have all these people that, like, make all these crazy things for these social platforms that we use every single day, but one of the things that was really interesting, they started talking about this topic called polarization. Okay, polarization is essentially the idea that as you're going through Facebook, like let's say you have your phone. Okay, I'm going to get my phone out. All right, I'm allowed to do this in church. I'm the pastor. Here we go. So um, I have my phone, and I'm on Facebook, and I'm scrolling through Facebook, okay, we get that scroll action, you know, our thumbs are all going to have arthritis when we're like 40, you know what I mean, because we're all just scrolling along, scrolling along all day. Uh, and so scrolling along, and then I see like 0.5 seconds, 0.5 seconds, and I stop at something for like three seconds, and look, and we'll keep going, keep going. And then I stop at something for like 20 seconds. Maybe it's a, an ad or a story from somebody, a post or a picture, you know, I like it, and I look at it for like 20 seconds. You know that Facebook knows how long that you stayed on that piece of content. 
You know, they, it's incredible the amount of data that they have. They can see where your fingers are pushing on the screen. They know, like, how long you're staying on things. It's crazy. So let's say you go through something and you're not really looking at it, but then you stop on something for like 20 seconds. Well, what is Facebook and the algorithm going to do, right? It knows, hey, they liked that piece of content, whether it was a post or an ad or, or a page or something like that that you're following at Radical Church on Facebook and Instagram, okay? Uh, <laughs> make sure you go follow us. Great photos and videos. Anyway, uh, so they know that, that you're sitting on there and liking that stuff and looking at it for a long time. So what are they going to do? They're going to feed you more of that content from that person, from that advertiser. Why do they do that? Because that's how they make money, okay? They want to make money. And how do they make money? By keeping you on their platform as long as possible so that they can feed you more and more advertisements. Well, here's the problem with that, is that as you start to like stuff more and more, and as you start to dislike other things, you know, you get on Facebook now and everybody has an opinion on stuff and everybody's on these unfriending sprees, right? Have you heard about people doing this? Like, it's like you didn't know that some people had certain views and, you know, instead of just like, you know, learning how to have a friend that has opposing views, now you just kind of like delete them off of social media and it's like they never existed. You know, they're just gone, right? And that's what everybody's doing now. And I think that's crazy. And the reason why is because then what starts to happen is this polarization starts to begin. And then now you start to see only stuff that you look at that you like. And then other people maybe have a different opposing view, start to see stuff that only they like and that they look at. And then it's crazy because then now you have this piece of information and, and they might not even see that same piece of information. You might be getting your news from Fox, okay, and they get their news from CNN. Why? Because they've clicked on it more and you've clicked on this more. And the problem becomes then is that you look over there to them and you say, well, how do you not know this? Like take the coronavirus, for example, right? You, so somebody is like, oh, this whole thing is a hoax, you know, it's all a hoax. Why? It's because that's the content that you're consuming. It's being fed to you because of the stuff that you've clicked on. And then on the other side, these people are saying, we're all going to die, you know, it's like, and it's crazy, you know, and I understand it. It's like, it's this crazy the dichotomy and this crazy, uh, um, um, just two polarized viewpoints on this thing. And it's with everything in your life, okay? Everything in your life, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google, it knows a lot about us and it has been splitting us apart and separating us and polarizing us for years now. And the social dilemma, that whole thing was about, what do we do about this? How do we fix this? What have we done? Like, what have we created that now people are becoming so much more separated by a thing that was supposed to initially, right, bring us together? Social media. And yet it's pulling us apart. So our nation is becoming more and more divided, we're becoming more and more polarized, but what are we called to? We're called to unity. We're not called to be polarized, we're called to be unified. And so I'm gonna pray right now and just ask that God would bless our time together, open our eyes and ears, all right? Lord Jesus, thank you that we're here today, that we can worship you, that we can hear a word from you straight out of the Bible. God, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to what you have to say today, that we would respond to the word. And everybody said, amen, amen. So, um, you ever seen a building that just kind of looks like it went up in like a day? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you go around and you've been driving. Let's say you, you drive by somewhere and you see like, oh, like they're starting a construction project. And you come back the next day and it's like, bam, there's a bank. You know, it's like just like boom, like real fast. You're like, that's incredible, okay? But then on the other side, you see sometimes that there's some construction projects that 
they take a little bit longer, okay? Let's just put it nicely like that. Like for those of you that live in Kyle, maybe in the downtown area of Kyle, you're talking about Burleson Road. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, that thing, if you live in that area or if you've been through Kyle or you know of a road that was just like closed forever, Burleson Road, it took like two years for them to finish that thing. It was a big project. It felt like there was never anybody working there. It's like, oh my goodness, like, can we get this thing done? But then even worse than that, let's take something that everybody can relate to. You're on I-35. You know where I'm going. You're coming back from San Antonio from a night out on the town with your lovely wife or your handsome husband, girlfriend, whatever it might be. Uh, you're painting the town red, okay? So you've been out. It's like 930, and you decide, let's go ahead and head back up this way, and you get around Kyle area or wherever you might be at about 10 o'clock, and you think this will be a pretty, this will be a breeze. You know, I'm going to get right through here. There's not going to be any traffic at all. And then what do you see? a bunch of red lights staring at you about, you know, right up there yonder. And you're like, oh, no. And you already know what it is. What is it? Construction. They always want to do construction at 10 o'clock at night. And you're thinking, why? Like, I was not planning on waiting an hour for construction at 10. I'm going to get home at 11. I got work in the morning. Like, oh, man, this is not good. And so you go through there, and then it goes down to one lane. And you're just like, seriously, this is I-35. This is one lane. This is ridiculous. Like, I need to get home. And then you get up. You see the cones everywhere. You get up to where it's, you know, finally, like, you see that this is where it's kind of, like, spreading out. And then you realize they're not doing any work at all, right? <laughs> they're not doing anything. There's no workers. There's no one there. They're not working on anything. It's just down to one lane. And you're just like, why are we doing this? Like, what are we even here for? I don't understand. Uh, and so... Uh, I want to talk to you today about one of the largest construction projects that is found in the Bible. It's really interesting. Is anybody in construction? Is anybody working or have worked in construction before in the house today? Raise your hand at me. Okay, no handy people at all. We got one. All right, if we have any problems, you know what? You guys, I'm calling you. I, that's, I was just trying to get my eyes on you guys, so I know if something breaks, I know who to call now. Okay, um, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Go ahead and, and turn there. If you have your Bible or uh, if you have your phone, we're going to be out of the NIV. And I'm not actually going to put the verses on the screen because we're going to go through a lot of scripture and even just like whole chapters at a time. I'm going to kind of summarize things. And so, but you can kind of follow along. I'll give you verse references as I go if you'd like to look at it again. But the book of Nehemiah is all about the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem, okay? So Jerusalem is, is kind of the holy land for the Israelites, all right? And, and, and I'm going to give you a little backstory. Okay, cities in, in that day, in ancient times, had to have very, very large walls, okay? You've seen Lord of the Rings, you know. And so they had to have really, really large walls. And the reason that they had that is because they had to protect against attack, all right? It's not like nowadays where you have Buda and Kyle, and whether you like someone in Buda or Kyle or not, you're not going to go pillage their town or something like that. Like, Buda's not like building a large wall to, like, keep people out of the city of Buda, and we have one in Kyle. It's not how it is anymore, okay? Um, so that's not how it is. But back then, that's kind of how it was. Like, you had your people group, and they had their people group, and if you didn't have a wall around you, man, you were in big trouble. And so what happened is, is the Babylonians came in, and they attacked, uh, and they basically were handed over, the Israelites were handed over to the Babylonians because they were not following God's commands. And God was basically like, you know what, like, you guys didn't listen to me, okay? And so this is what's going to happen now. 
y'all are going to go into exile for years, okay? And so the Babylonians take over, and they bring a lot of the Israelites back to Babylon, and they're kind of just, the Israelites are spread out all over the place. Some of you are like, I would like to build a large wall between me and my neighbors right now. And if you live in Plum Creek, you can't. They don't allow privacy fences here. It's crazy, all right? But some of y'all, you got the big old fences, you know? Can I just get a big old fence between me and my mother-in-law? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. My mother-in-law is here. I can't say that. Oh, my gosh. What have I done? I'm just kidding. I love you, Karen, so much. All right. So, listen, the Israelites were in exile for years. And Nehemiah, what does he do? Well, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, the king of Babylon, all right? And so his job is to bring the wine, right? He brings the cup up to the king. His job is not to talk to the king. His job is not to hang out with the king, all right? If you talk to a king back in that day, you actually, and if he didn't like what you had to say, or if you kind of talked out of line or out of turn, usually it's one of those things that you only speak, or you only speak when you are spoken to kind of a thing. So uh, if you speak and he might just be like, eh, I don't like what you said, you're done. You know what I mean? So uh, you don't talk to the king, but he was a cupbearer. He would bring the wine up to the king and he hears about his homeland from years and years ago. And his, his father and his grandfather had been there and, and he had all of his life been spent in Babylon. And, and so he hears about the walls that had been destroyed and there had been some Israelites that had gone back, okay, and they were trying to rebuild and they were trying to live there, but the walls were just completely rubble. They'd been burned by fire is what the Bible says. And so what Nehemiah does is, is he's really upset, okay? And so he comes up to the king and the king says, you know what, Nehemiah, normally you're, you're, kind, of a, you're kind of a happy dude. He he's probably said dude just like that. He said, Nehemiah, you're probably a, normally a happy guy, but today you kind of seem upset. What's going on? And then this is what Nehemiah says. And Nehemiah 2 Verses four through five, you can look this up. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven because he thought if I speak right now, I might get killed. Okay, this is a big deal that he says this, that he talks to him. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And you have to think, this is like your, your homeland from a long time ago. Your house gets burned down or something like that. You know? And he's, he's basically saying, you know what, this is a personal thing for me. He's very upset about this. And he ends up getting permission from the king to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah 2, 13, a few verses down, if you want to follow along. He says, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. What a great name for a gate. <laughs> The dung gate. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. Come on now. Uh, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah 2.17, skip a few more down. Then I said to them, I was talking to the people now, I said, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. So come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. So, what is Nehemiah doing here? What's the summary of this first part of the story? Listen, Nehemiah gets permission, right? He gets permission from the king to go back and build a wall. And then at night, he kind of goes out. and It's like, I'm going to go assess the damage, essentially, is what he's doing. He's like the general contractor now. And he's going out and taking a look, seeing what do we have here. You know, that's the first thing you're going to do. Take a look, see what you got. Then he comes up with a plan. And he gathers the people, he gathers the workers, the subs, essentially, right? And then he's going to go execute the plan. Nobody forced him to do this, Right? He wasn't like, I have to go do this. He probably had a good life in Babylon. You think about it. I mean, he's the cupbearer to the king. This guy's worked his way up pretty good, okay? It's not like a, a, a bad deal that he's got going on. He's probably got good housing. He's probably got a decent amount of money. 
He's doing just fine. He could have just stayed there the rest of his life and, and died, and maybe somebody else might have done it. But no, 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 that's not what he does. He chose to take responsibility and say, you know what, I'm not going to allow this disunity of my people any longer. I'm not going to allow this disunity any longer. I want to bring our people together and build this wall so that we can have unity once again. And so the first point I want to get across to you today is that unity starts with you. Unity starts with you. Yes, that is a you, and that is a very bad pastor joke that I just did right there. But it is true. Unity starts with the letter U, but you know what I'm saying. Unity starts with you. What does it take to have unity in the body of Christ? What does it take to have unity in your family? You can't look to other people, right? You have to start with you. There's a great song uh, by Michael Jackson. Actually, one time back in the day, I sang this song in a church service before. Uh, and I sang it one time in church service because we were talking about kind of a similar subject. And it's a, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about? I'm asking him to make a change. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Thank you. I'm going to go hide now. See you guys. All right. I do not sound like Michael Jackson. I can't dance like him. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do it. No, no. That's where I draw the line, guys. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but God is looking for someone to say, you know what? I'm not going to allow this disunity in my family any longer. I'm not going to allow my kids and my wife and me and my family to not be on the same page anymore. But I'm going to step up and do something about it. God is looking for somebody in your family life, in your personal life, in your workplace, and in our church together. God is looking for some people. To be honest, I'm looking for some people that are going to say, you know what, I'm not going to take this unity. I'm not going to gossip, all right? I'm going to build up with my words, all right? I'm not going to allow this disunity with my kids anymore in my family. But you know what? Because when you get strong, everybody gets strong, okay? And I want you to remember that if you take personal responsibility to create unity in your family and in your church, I want you to remember this. This is very, very important. Write this down if you want to, that you plus God is the majority. You plus God is the majority every single time. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It matters first what you're doing. That's where unity starts, is taking that personal responsibility for it. And then we'll talk about the other sections. Okay, I remember one time, my dad told me this. Uh, you'll probably hear a lot of life lessons from dad uh, over the years as we're here at Radical Church. I think everybody has some good life lessons, you know, sometimes you get from a parent or, or a loved one. But uh, this is a good life lesson that I learned, and I needed this one for marriage, and Lindsay is back. By the way, everybody say hello to Lindsay. Hello, babe. I love you so much. That's my wife, Lindsay. She was helping out in kids, and then sometimes she does photography. She's all over the place, and you are just good looking, even with that mask on. And there she goes. God bless her. I love you, babe. Anyway, um, my dad taught me this lesson, and I thought it was great. I was getting into a fight. Uh, I had to say that first because of my story I'm about to tell. I, I had another girlfriend at the time when I was in high school, and I had this girlfriend, and we were fighting a lot. You know, it was just like crying. Like, why are we fighting all the time? I don't understand. You know, just like woes of a junior, senior in high school. And we're fighting, and then my dad finally told me this little phrase. He said, son... Sometimes you just have to reserve the right to be right. And have you ever heard that one before? Reserve the right to be right. All right? And in that, what he's saying is essentially, in order to preserve the peace in that relationship, sometimes you just need to sit down and shut up and reserve the right to be right about stuff all the time and try to fight for the unity first. 
doesn't matter if you're right first. And I see some people that are just, say, write it down. <laughs> and some people, they pat him on the shoulder. I saw somebody say, you write that down right now. You got to reserve the right to be right. And what's the point of that is that it doesn't matter if you're right all the time. If you don't have unity, who cares, right? That relationship is not going to be any better by you constantly trying to prove yourself to be right. So that is a principle that you can take in your family. Reserve the right to be right. Strive for that unity. So in Nehemiah 3, flip over to Nehemiah 3, you can start to look, and it's a very, very boring chapter, okay? And I will tell you the reason is, is it's, it's, there's not really much there. It's a bunch of the people that were building the wall together. It says, and next to him, he was building the wall with his family, and then he was building the wall with his family, and they were building this part of the wall, they were building that part of the wall. They start to build this wall, okay? And now we're talking about Let's just get a little deeper into this, all right? Let's just have you write down a few more things for your spouse, okay? So we're doing it. Has anybody ever done a DIY project before? DIY project at your house, okay? All right, so we have a few people. You might not be in construction, but you'd like to pretend that you are. Come on. Uh, so you're like, I'm going to do this. I am Lowe's. I am Hope Improvement. I am Tim the Tool Man. We can get this done, baby. Come on. And so uh, you start this DIY project. You know, sometimes maybe if you're like trying to get some new backsplash, you go to the backsplash store. I don't know, wherever it is. Uh, you go to the, the store to find whatever it is that you need to find, or you go and you're going to Lowe's or Home Depot, and you're looking at the different paint that you want to paint and everything, and you always have a different opinion, okay? Your wife wants this color, and you want this color. She wants this backsplash. You want that backsplash, this counter, this fixture, whatever it might be. There might be a couple of things you agree on, but for the most part, there's always going to be something that you don't agree on. And so what happens here in Nehemiah 3 is they start to build this wall, and I kind of imagine in my head, I love just kind of picturing things and imagining what this situation would be like. It really helps you to kind of digest the Bible a little bit better when you put a picture to it, you know? So I'm imagining these people, and, you know, I got my family here, and we're building our part of the wall, and then we have, you know, over here we have Tim, our worship pastor, and, and Emily, and they're building their part of the wall. And I'm looking over, uh, me and Lindsay are looking over at Tim and Emily's part of the wall, and we're like, it's not how I would have done it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes your wife does that to you. You know, like you're painting and you're working hard, guys, and your wife's just coming up standing behind you just like, mm, you know? And you're like, what am I doing wrong this time? You know, you always have a different opinion on how things should be done, okay? Uh, and I, I'm thinking that they're maybe doing the same things. They're painting the stones or something like that. That's a bad shade of stone. You know what I mean? I don't like that at all. Uh, and so the second point I have for you guys today, I want you to write this down. It's very, very important. And it's, it's unity over uniformity. Okay, unity over uniformity. We talked about this a little bit uh, in week one of this series, but unity over uniformity is very, very important. There's actually a couple in our church, and uh, I won't mention their names or, or the churches that were involved in this, and they're actually here serving today, uh, one in each area today. But there's a couple in our church. He was raised Catholic his entire life, okay? Uh, and then she was raised Baptist, I think non-denom, uh, Baptist basically her whole life. And they fell in love, and they wanted to get married, right? And I think it's a pretty common story around this area. There's a lot of people that are raised Catholic or maybe raised, uh, you know, whatever it might be, Christian, whatever. They, they fall in love, they get married, okay? And then so they're like, well, or we need to get married. And so they go to the Catholic church, and they want to get married there. And they look at them and say, well, is she going to become Catholic? And they were like, no, like she's Baptist. And they're like, oh, well, you can't, you can't get married here. You both have to be Catholic to get married here. Okay, let's head on over to the Baptist church. All right, let's go over here. And then so they ask, well, can we get married here? Uh, well, is he going to become Baptist? Well, no, he's been Catholic his whole life. And the lady laughs in their face and says, no, you can't get married here. Are you serious? And they're like, uh, yeah, we were. Okay, but not anymore. But how, how sad is that, right? 
that these churches were more concerned about the uniformity of them thinking the same way as them before they would even accept them and love them and care for them. They were only caring about the uniformity of thought before they cared about the unity of the body of Christ. And man, that's a sad place to be in. Listen, there's many different denominations that are in our world of, of Christians and, and beliefs. There's different styles of church. You might be in a loud church. You might be in a little bit more of a quiet church. I mean, we're kind of a loud church. And if this is your first time today and you realize that we were very, very loud, uh, I'm sorry. This is just who we are, okay? We're a loud church. We like to be loud. We like to worship. We like to be expressive. We're going to raise our hands. We're going to have a good time. You know, it's a part of our core values here. So we're going to be fun-filled. And we're going to be a loud, loud church. But, man, there's some other churches that are a little bit more quiet, right? And the pastor preaches from the pulpit and has the little microphone that comes out here and talks very solemnly and stuff like that. Well, listen, that's not me. That's not us, okay? But there's different kinds of churches, right? There might be a traditional, contemporary. You know, like you have these two different ways of doing church. Might be a long church service. How many of you are grateful that we don't have four-hour services at Radical Church? Come on. Has anybody ever been in like a really long, like three, four-hour church service? Come on. I have been in some of those. And honestly, sometimes they're really, really powerful and they're really cool. Uh, but, you know, have some short church services. You know, we have church for about an hour, hour five, something like that. But I know some churches even that are doing the online stuff now, their online services are like 45 minutes now. It's, it's a lot shorter because attention spans and all that kind of stuff. But then you have a shallow service, maybe, that's like kind of more on the, on the surface level, just kind of getting people in the door sort of thing, a shallow church, whatever you might want to call it, I don't know. You have those really deep, deep, powerful sermons at the end of it, and, you know, people come up and say, Pastor, thank you just so much. You have just fed me today. I appreciate that. Have you ever heard that? It's just like this, that sermon just fed me today. Come on. And I, you, you get that really deep, you know, theological stuff that's just crazy out there, and, like, only about 5% of the people in the audience actually understand the Greek and the Hebrew. So, like, why? anyway, that's a whole other sermon, too. But there's different styles of churches. But I want you to remember that at Radical Church, this is who we're going to be, so we are a church for all of those people, okay? Listen, not everyone here believes the same stuff. Uh-oh. How can you have unity when not everybody believes the same thing? Listen, because we're not about uniformity of thought. We're about the unity of the body of Christ in general. Listen, we have core values, six of them, and we have actually, you know what? Who has on uh, this? Thad, come up here. This is my brother. Everybody give it up for my brother Thad. He didn't know I was going to do this today. I'm really sorry, buddy. Can you stand and face that way? Face that way. Stand right there. All right. I love you so much. Okay. We have six core values, and they're on the back of this shirt. And the reason we put them on here is because they're very, very important. The first two are people matter and everyone belongs. Okay? People matter and everyone belongs. All right, Thad, you can have a seat. Uh, but I want to show you that it's very important that we have those on our shirts and we think about these things, we talk about these things, and everything that we do flows through these core values. And the reason I put those two at the top is because those are the most important. Why? Because Jesus said that they were the most important. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Or he said, love your God and then love each other. Basically, that's all it is. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Love God, love your neighbor. If you can do those two things, you're on the right track. I'll preach that till the day I die. You love people. You love God, you're going to be all right. Why do we love people? Because Jesus loves people. Jesus came down to this earth to die for you and to die for me, for our sins, that we would be made whole, that we would be made righteous, we would be made holy, we could have a relationship with God most high. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. For God so loved you that he sent 
his only son to die on the cross for you. And so why do we love people and why do we prioritize that? Because Jesus does that. And the second is that everyone belongs. Listen, at Radical Church, you do not have to believe what we believe in order to be a part of our family. Does anybody have a crazy uncle? (laughs) You guys believe the same thing as that crazy dude? Nope. But what is he? Family. And when you have a family gathering and they come together, man, you'll have a good time. Are you going to hang out with them all the time? Maybe not. But you know what I mean? Like, uh, you don't believe the same things, but he's still family. He's still part of the family. Listen, we're all family here. We might not always believe the same things or, or, or think the same way. But listen, we are going to prioritize unity in this family. So who is our enemy? Not the church down the street. Not the Methodists. Not the Baptists. Not the Catholics. They are not our enemy. Who is our enemy? The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And his name is Satan. And he has a plan for you that is absolutely no good and is rotten and it is evil. And he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill you and your family. And he wants to destroy you and pull you apart and divide you and polarize you to where you're not unified anymore. And he can get you by yourself. And then you'll start to forget what your purpose is. We're not Baptist first, Methodist first, Pentecostals first, Assemblies of God first, Catholic, whatever it might be. We're not Republicans first. We're not Democrats first. I'm going to say it again. I said it week one of the series, but we are Jesus followers first. And you got to remember that. Jesus followers first. Your purpose here on this earth is much greater than your preference. I want you to remember that. Write that down. Your purpose is greater than your preference. What is your purpose? Your purpose is unity of the body of Christ. That is your purpose. We know that. We know that God has called us to that. A house divided cannot stand. That's, a, that's Bible right there. House divided cannot stand. We know that that is our purpose. And yet so many times we get split up in these little sections over our preferences on how we think church should be done. Listen, if you want to go to a church that does things a little bit different than us and you've been here today and you're like, you know what, this is not really my cup of tea, listen, that's fine. And I'm not trying to hate on you for that. But what I am saying is, is don't be a church shopper that just walks around and goes to every church thinking that the next church down the street is gonna be the one for you, that they don't have any problems. You know why that you think that they don't have any problems? Because you haven't been there for a while, okay? We all have problems. I just wanna let you know, Radical Church, we gonna have some problems. I will tell you, we already have some problems. You know what the problem is? You. (laughs) You're the problem. I'm the problem. We're all the problem. Why? Because we are all sinners. We're all imperfect people. And we're messy. Family is messy. But at the end of the day, you were made to be in community with one another. No matter those differences that you have, you're made to be in community with one another. And so it doesn't matter If you think the same way, I want to make sure that you know that you were made for community. And the last point kind of flows into that. It's community creates unity. Community creates unity. In Nehemiah 3, you look at that that book. You you look at that chapter. You start to see those, those people, those families that are lined up next to him. And next to him, and next to him, and next to him, his family and his family, they were building this section, building this section. Each family took their section and repaired what had been destroyed. They stood side by side, put aside all those other differences that they inevitably had, because we all have those differences, and they made the impossible possible. Nehemiah 4, 
If you go to Nehemiah 4, there's this man called Samballot, and he starts to make fun of them. And he says things like, will they bring these stones back to life? It's rubble. These things have been burnt. There's nothing here. They're going to bring these back to life. And then he says another one I think is really funny. He said, will they finish in a day? They're trying to get this thing done so quickly. There's no way they're going to do it. Listen, Satan will always, always mock you when you start to strive for unity in your family and in your church. He will always try to divide you. And if you start to strive for unity, you start to see some resistance. It's not because you're not on the right track. It's because Satan is trying to derail you from what you're doing. Listen, I want to tell you today that they rebuilt that wall around all of Jerusalem in 52 days. In 52 days, that would be like if all of Kyle, all the construction projects in the Austin area all got magically finished in about 52 days. That's the scale that we're talking about here. And when you prioritize unity in your family, when you say, I'm going to take responsibility for myself and my family first, you know what happens? Our families get unified. When our families get unified, our church gets unified. When our church gets unified, the churches around us start to become unified. And when our churches around us are unified, then that means that nothing can stop us. Why? Nehemiah 6.16, when all our enemies heard about this, that it was built in 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Now that's a word. I'm going to say it again. They lost their self-confidence and they were afraid. Make the enemy afraid of you today by striving for unity. Amen? They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. When you step into the gap and fight for unity in your family, you can guarantee that God is on your side. And you might know this verse, but when God is on your side, who can be against you? Come on. God is for us. Who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody can be against us. The impossible becomes possible. Those dead things in your life, they start to be restored. Broken things become strong. And those dead stones will come back to life. I guarantee it. What's broken in your life today that needs to be restored? Is there something that needs to be kind of rebuilt in your life? An, an issue or a thing that you see that we're having some trouble and you, you feel like that you're in disunity with your family, feel like you don't, you don't have unity in the church yet. I know we're a new church. We're working on that. We might never get 100%, but man, we'll get there. We'll get close. We're always going to strive toward it. Listen, do you have something that's broken in your life that needs to be restored? Get in community with some other like-minded people. Maybe they're not even like-minded yet. Maybe you don't even believe some of this stuff yet about Jesus, right? This is what I'm telling you. You don't have to believe everything yet. Just get around people that do, and you'll start to see your marriage get better. You'll start to see your relationship with your kids get better. All of your other relationships get better. You'll start to see addictions that will fall right off of you. And you're like, what's going on? And the reason is, is because iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another, right? Iron sharpens iron. So when you're together and when you're working through this stuff together in community, you will start to have unity. And as you get that unity with the body of Christ, you'll start to see the rest of your life, things will start to work themselves out and you won't even realize why. It's because you're getting around other like-minded people that are building you up, building the wall together, next to him, next to him, next to him, next to her, 
next to you. Listen, we're building the church. We're building this church, radical church, but also we're building families. That's what we're in the business of, is building the family first and seeing what God will do in your life. And all you have to do is say yes to unity in your family and unity in your church. Those are the two things that I want us to focus on today. Everybody, would you stand with me? Unity in your family, unity in your church. Those are the two things that I think we all really want, right? I'm going to give you some practical things here at the end. We talk about unity, unity, unity. What in the world is unity? How do you get unity, right? We'll give you some practical things. Number one, unity takes work. It is not by accident that people become unified, all right? It's not by accident. It takes intentionality. It takes work. It takes you reserving the right to be right. It takes you getting off Facebook, okay? It takes you not arguing with people. It takes you striving for unity and for peace in your home, peace within, right? That's where it starts. So what I want you to do in your family is I want you to commit, number one, to pray together every day, once a week, whatever it might be. Notice I didn't say to have a one-hour Bible study every morning and evening. I didn't say that. Listen, start somewhere. If you're not praying with your family, start praying with your family. If you don't know what to say, say something. Just talk to God. It doesn't have to be some fancy special prayer, but just the fact that you're getting together and saying, you know what, I'm taking responsibility for my family. Listen, go to church every single Sunday. When the doors are open to this building or any other church, I don't, it doesn't matter where you go, but get in community somewhere and get involved. Go to church every Sunday. And listen, I'm gonna call out some guys here, but men, it's time for you to step up. Listen, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard of the, of the wife and the kids that are dragging the husband along to church. You know what? Do not let your wife be the spiritual leader of your house by herself. You are just as called, if not the same amount, if not even more. Lead your family, man. Get to church. Lead that family spiritually. You know what? I don't want your wife to be hanging all by herself trying to lead her kids. Listen, they're your kids too. Get your kids together, man. Pray for them. Teach them how to pray. Show them the way to live, right? And get your family in church. So men, step up today. And listen, you're here today, and I love that. But man, if you're having a bad morning, come to church anyway. What better place to have a better morning? Like, goodness gracious, we got coffee, we got donuts, we got people, we got Jesus. I mean, come on, like, what's better than that? Get into church. So that's how you get unity in your family, some little practical steps. And I want us to commit to that today. So that's one thing we're going to commit to. The second thing is we're going to commit to unity in our church. Unity in the church. It's not always easy to have unity in a church, especially as it gets larger. Well, I don't know. Sometimes the small churches, man, you've got some crazy stuff that happens in them churches. But uh, as we get larger, it's more difficult to make a large church feel small, right? But I want you to know that at Radical Church, we are committed to making sure that as large as we get, and we believe that we will grow, and we already have, and we're going to have hundreds and hundreds and eventually thousands of people that will be touched by this ministry. But at the end of the day, what does it matter if nobody knows your name? You're not going to come back. You don't want to be a part of that. Why? Because you don't have community. And if we don't have community, we're not going to have unity, right? So there's three things that I want everyone to do, and I will preach this a lot, Okay. Uh, I haven't done it thus far because we've only had two out of those three things. And that third one is actually the big announcement that we have today for you. The first one is that everybody gives. Everybody gives. 
It's a spiritual discipline that we all need to have as the body of Christ, that we all give and trust God with our finances first, okay? Listen, every good and perfect gift comes from who? From the Father above, right? It comes from God. Everything that you have comes from God. And so when we honor him in our finances, we step out in faith and we give towards the local church to support the work and ministry of the local church. Listen, that Jesus is the hope of the world, and what's the avenue that Jesus decided to, to spread that hope through? The local church. It started in the book of Acts, and it's still going to today. So when you give, you're supporting the almost 30 people that have given their lives to Jesus since we have started Radical Church. That's what you're investing in. You're investing in missions and planting other churches just like this all over the United States through the Church Multiplication Network. We're supporting them. We're giving 10% of our income as a church. We are giving it away. Why? Because we believe in planting other churches that will help plant other churches, that will help more people find Jesus, that will help more people find Jesus. And as we grow and as we get more finances, we will continue to give away 10% of everything that we get because we believe in the power of generosity. So I want you to commit today, number one, everyone gives. And if you haven't done that yet, you can do that on your phone. You can do it at the back. Start somewhere. You don't have to give 10% right away. I'm not, I'm not a Malachi 3 guy that if you don't give 10% of your income, you're cursed. You know, that's, no. Listen, start somewhere. If it's 1% of your income, if it's $20, if that's a stretch for you, if that's sacrificial giving for you in this moment, in this season, listen, God's gonna honor that. You're stretching your faith and you're saying yes to Jesus, Okay. And then that will grow over time, and I guarantee you, you'll start to realize that you can do a lot more with 90% than you can with 100. It's crazy. God has blessed us in our life immensely, and, and I can tell you time and time again how much he's blessed us in that area. Number two, everyone serves. Everybody gives, everybody serves. Imagine if every single one of us was on the rad team, right? Here's the problem with the church sometimes, is that we're all spectators. You ever heard this? before that there's 15,000 people that are in the stands at a football game that are in desperate need of a workout and there's 22 people on the field that are in desperate need of a rest. <laughs> I think that's so funny. We have 35, probably closer to 40, I don't know, 40 something people on the rad team right now. And they have given everything that they have. And they've come every single Sunday because they believe in what God is doing here at Radical Church. And if you believe in what God is doing here at Radical Church, I would encourage you to step out in faith and say, you know what? I'm going to start serving. I'm going to get involved. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to be a spectator. But coach, put me in. I want to get in that game. I want to help people find Jesus. I want to say yes to that. And how do you do that? We do that through Growth Track. So I want to tell you, we've had a couple of new team members that have joined on the last couple of days. Man, there's a guy, actually Jeff right now is running the live stream in the back. He came this morning for the first time and said, you know what, I'm just going to come and I want to help. He had, this dude hadn't even gone through growth track yet. And I said, you know what, we need somebody to run the live stream today. He said, absolutely done. And he ran the whole live stream today. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it was good, Jeff. <laughs> That's good, come on. But uh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to commit to everybody giving, everybody serving. Everybody gives, everybody serves. If you want to do that, we're going to have another growth track because I've had a lot of people ask me about that. They, they want to get involved. They want to serve. Growth track helps us to get to know you, helps you to get to know us. But more importantly, it helps you to get to know you, which is really cool. We do a DISC personality assessment. We do a spiritual gifts assessment. 
And if you want to get on the team, man, there's so many cool places to serve in. If you can sing, get up here. If you want to connect with people, be on the connections team. If you like production and computers, then get back there. If you like kids, for the love of Jesus, please go into the kids area. Come on. Listen, they have a lot of fun back there. Uh, Deborah has been trying to get her husband, Zach, to go back to the kids area for like the last four weeks now. And he's like, listen, I'm good serving coffee, people. So, um, But it's a lot of fun. Get back there. Make a difference in people's lives. You know why? Because that's you saying, you know what? I'm going to take my stone. Boom. I'm going to build that wall together. And the last thing, you guys ready? No, nah, you're not ready. Okay, no, no. All right, service is over. We're going to wrap it up. No, I'm just <laughs> The big announcement that we have today is it's everybody gives, everybody serves. Number three, everybody in a group. Everybody in a group. And our big announcement today is we're launching Rad Groups. And we're launching our student ministry in January. We're very excited about this. And we're super excited to launch this. And the reason is, is because you have to get in community to get some unity. So if you want to lead a small group, if you want to be in a small group, you know, small groups are awesome. You know why? Because they can be anything at Radical Church. It's not just a bunch of people getting around with like hors d'oeuvres and, you know, like just reading like through the book of Romans or something like that. You know what? You can do that if you want to. But you know what? My dad has been wanting to do a golf group for a while now, and I'm finally going to let you do it, Pops. You know what you can do? Get on out to Plum Creek Golf Course. Get yourself a membership if you want to. Or, you know, you can just tag along with my dad, all right? He'll pay for it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't. I'm I'm just kidding. But you know what? Go and play the first nine holes. And then go sit and have a 10-minute Bible study in the clubhouse and then get out and play the back nine. Right? That's a group. That's a small group. You know, you can get some other guys involved, guys that don't even come to Radical Church. Get them in the group. Have them come hang out. Help them find Jesus while you're playing on the, on the back nine and then bring them to church that Sunday, the next day. Amen? If you want to have a group that's at a coffee shop, if you want to have a group for young adults, if you want to have a group for, for singles or whatever it might be, if you want to have that group, You can sign up today right at the back, and I want everyone to sign up at the back today. Everybody gives, everybody serves, everybody in the group. Why? Because iron sharpens iron, and together we are better than if we are separated. Man, we're always going to be better together. So I want us to commit to those things. Unity in our family, commit to pray together, commit to going to church together, reading the Bible together, and then also committing to unity in our church. Those three things, everybody gives, everybody serves, everybody in the group. We're also launching our student ministry, which I'm very excited about. If you have a passion for students, 6th through 12th grade, man, I encourage you to go ahead and put that back on the card. Just flip it around on the prayer. There's a little prayer card now that we have. And just write it in there, what you're interested in. Say, I want to lead a group. I want to join a group. And write whatever that is on there. If that's all it says, then that's fine. We'll get in touch with you. We'll have a small group leadership training coming up where we can equip you to lead, uh, lead your group and to get involved in a group. So I want us to pray together, to commit to those things. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to say yes to some of this stuff today. We're going to say yes. And if if you would like to say yes, and I know this this is something I think all of us should say yes to, but if you would like to commit to, to taking responsibility for your family, take responsibility for yourself, responsibility for your family and for your kids, and you want to have unity in your family, would you raise your hand right now? And you say, yes, that's me. I'm taking responsibility, and I I hope every hand in the room would go up for this one. This is important. Take responsibility for my relationship with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. Listen, we're going to be God-honoring. We're going to be pure. We're going to go after Jesus together. Amen, amen. You can put your hands down. If you're going to say, you know what? I want to say yes to unity in our church. 
that I'm gonna be a part of this church. I'm gonna say yes and I'm gonna give. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna sign up for growth track. I'm gonna get a part of this church and then I'm gonna be in a small group. I'm gonna get a community. If you would like to say yes to that today, will you just raise your hand too? Say yes, I'm a part of this. I wanna put me in coach. Get me in there. Let's do this together. That's awesome. Almost every hand in the room went up. Thank you. You can put your hands down. You know what? Let's pray together and let's solidify this thing right here, right now. And after service is over, man, go on over to the info area and they will help you out. They'll get you signed up for a group. And we'll tell you more about that coming in the future. But man, I just want to seal this deal today. Say yes to unity. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. Thank you that with you, all things are possible. That if we put our heads together, and we have the call of God in our life to be unified, we can build anything. That a, a project that should have taken months, maybe even years, God took 52 days in the book of Nehemiah, and those walls in Jerusalem were rebuilt. And God, right now, we believe that we are building the church of God right now together, partnering with you, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, you said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God, right now, we're saying yes to unity in our family. We're taking responsibility for ourselves, God, first and foremost. We're taking responsibility for our family. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna read our Bibles together, see what you have to say about things in our lives, God. We're gonna commit to going to church together, being a community, getting in a group, giving, serving God. We wanna be a part. We, get, we say, yes, God, here I am. Send me. Help me to make a difference, God. Put me in coach because I wanna be a part of what's happening here in Kyle, Texas. I wanna be a part of people seeing their lives changed healed, delivered, saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And so God, we say yes today to all these people that raise their hands, Lord, in this place. I pray that you would help them to say yes to this commitment, Lord, and that they would stick with it and that you would see, uh, that, that they would see their, their lives get immeasurably better, Lord. Not necessarily, they're not gonna have trouble or hard times, but they'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding in their home. They'll have that peace within, and man, we will have that awesome unity within this church and within this body of Christ. Man, we'll see you do amazing things in our community, in our state, in our nation. And I believe eventually radical churches reach will go all the way to the world. Why? Because of these awesome people that have said yes today, right now. We thank you, Father, for this commitment that we're making before you, before each other. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. We seal this. Everybody said amen. 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 Will you give it up for Jesus today?